Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diverse City Podcast, talking about equity, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And before we get started today, I just wanted to take a moment to thank our friends at City AM. They've given Diversity Podcast a new home at Impact AM, their pages dedicated to ESG, impact investment, DE and I, and so much more. We really appreciate that they publish and promote both our episodes and our supporting blog series so that their readers can stay right on top of the very latest diversity, equity and inclusion debate. So thank you to City AM. Now, I'm so excited about this episode because we are having a special youth takeover episode and I'm joined by four young consultants who work with an organisation called Participation People. Now, let me just tell you a bit about Participation People. Participation People's young consultants are a group of young people from across the UK with the different experiences of healthcare, social care, police and youth justice, children's services, voluntary sector, education, asylum-seeking services, poor physical and or mental health, disability, rural living, and so much more. Their aim is to help professionals listen to, value, and work with young people to improve services together. They are experts by experience when it comes to youth participation and help participation people to facilitate training for professionals. It's all about youth proofing our offer and to remind adults that in everything that we do, we must keep young people at the centre of what we are building and what we are creating. So I am so excited to introduce you to four of our guests and I'm going to ask them each questions in turn. And then later in the show, we have a bit of a surprise moment where the tables are going to turn and they're going to ask me some questions. So I'm joined today by four guests. Chloe is 16 and is passionate about educating everyone about children in care and fighting against stereotypes that children in care face. And she says, If she had a superpower, it would be to be able to fly. Joining Chloe is Megan. Megan is 15 and she is passionate about solving problems whilst making people smile. And she says that if she had a superpower, it would be to have the power to read minds. Sirad is 14. She has a passion to represent the views and the interests of young people and all about giving them a voice. And her desired superpower would be the power of invisibility. And last but not least is Harrison. Harrison's 15 and he's passionate about films. He would love to have a superpower that would enable him to time travel. And I can't wait to meet you all because uh, I I love the little insights we have there in terms of what makes you tick and what you really, really care about. And also I love this question about superpower. I ask people all the time in business, what's your superpower? And I get some really dull answers a lot of the time. So I was loving your answers there about invisibility, reading minds, time travel, and the ability to fly. So welcome to the show one, welcome to the show all. And I'm really excited about this because today we're going to look at financial services from the perspective of young people. And I'm really curious that when they think about banking and financial services, I want to know what are your initial thoughts And what's your understanding of the industry? Harrison, can I come to you first? I know the basics of applying for mortgages when buying a house or interest um, loans and credit scores. Not in detail, just things I've heard. I feel like that's partly due to um, not enough education around 
the financial sector and how to manage finances when you grow older and leave school. It's not enough. It really isn't. I feel like if you want to learn more about banking and finance, it's just there's not enough being put in place to make sure that you understand what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, it is really true, isn't it? We tend to talk a lot about financial services with people when they get into the workplace and when they get into earning a salary or, you know, as they go through their careers. But you raise a really important point about do we educate enough people when they're younger? Megan, I'd love to hear your thoughts. When we talk about banking and financial services, what's your understanding of the industry? When I think about banking and finance, I think of Wolf of Wall Street and how it's very male dominated and not very racially diverse. However, I also think about the internet as internet banking is quite prominent. So Harrison, let me come back to you. Um, When you look at the industry, when you think about financial services, is there anything that particularly appeals to you? Not looking at it from like an economic point of view, but instead of like the maths that goes on in the financial sector and how you need, you have to crunch numbers really fast and quickly. So you don't kind of fall behind with everything that's going on in the financial sector. And is there anything that particularly puts you off? There's a huge stereotype in the financial sector that um, it's a very serious business. And I feel like that kind of does put me off a little bit, but I feel like it won't put me off entirely that I'm not looking to go and try it out. And can I ask another question, which is when you think about possibly coming to try it out, where do you think you'd begin to start looking? I don't know, because I don't know the roles or... Um, what happens um, in the financial sector because, again, lack of education. If it does have numbers and if it does have maths involved in it, I'd probably be there straight away. Well, I can confirm there's a lot of maths uh, in the city, but not entirely because there are lots of jobs that aren't necessarily just all about number crunching. There, So there's marketing, communications. There's also making sure that, that um, banks and financial services are remaining compliant with regulation. Uh, There are also uh, sales jobs and all sorts of other things as well. And at the very heart is about how do we produce products and services. And you were talking about a few there in terms of mortgages, loans and other products. How do we make sure that they are right for consumers? And at the heart of that very much kind of lies the mathematical piece. It's also a fascinating dynamic in the city about how do you apply your maths into algorithms as well. So uh, anybody doing advanced maths, <laughs> there's a really interesting engineering pathway to be taken. And you would have a stellar career in the city, which is really interesting. Uh, Harrison, I think you make a really interesting point, though, which is, I think our education needs to go further into schools and academic environments and also into communities about what are the pathways into the industry. Megan, what about you? you know, what in the industry particularly appeals? I think apart from the apparent big paychecks, Um, I think that talking to different people and dealing with different situations appeal to me as banking can be for big businesses, but for also small businesses and for families too. And what do you think we need to do better if we are to appeal to you and to your friends? I feel like for my friends and I, if if finance in the media was portrayed as something more approachable, because when I think about going to pay like taxes, putting money in and all of that, it seems a bit scary and intimidating. So if it was a bit more chilled out and more approachable, it would definitely be better. When I think about where I find information that I trust, I always tend to go to actual bank branches rather than to go online. If I was to go online, I'd probably go to like a well-known bank or even like a well-known solicitors or lawyers to find information like that. I wouldn't just go to like 
a random dodgy website or something like that, I'd go to a trusted source. So it's like fake news is everywhere. So Chloe, can I come to you? Because I'm really curious, when you look at the financial services industry and you think about career success, what do you dream of? And, and then I'm really curious to hear what barriers you think might exist as well. So I'm going to be honest here. So I personally, for me, I don't dream of being part of the financial service because I struggled a lot with maths. I just hated every maths lesson. And I just feel like for me, if I was part of that, it just wouldn't be my dream. It's just a barrier facing. It's just like, would there be a place for me in that service or would I enjoy working there? So it's very interesting hearing your thoughts there about being so aligned with maths. It feels like it's very aligned in your minds about the association between financial services and maths, when actually there are other opportunities as well. I'd love to get your thoughts about whether you might be curious in other roles as well. I just think it also goes back to the point that like Harrison was making about there not being enough education around it in school. So I feel like every time someone says like financial, everyone's just thinking about like percentages, like office work sitting in the office and then like taxes and like lots of like hard work and like you have to be like really smart and you have to know your maths so if there was more opportunities and other roles then maybe I would take a part in it but it's just the fact I literally know nothing about it. And it's important for us to hear that by the way and everybody's listening and everybody's tuning in listen to what Chloe and Harrison are telling us which is we need to get out of the industry out of our offices and get into the community and explain to people that actually there are phenomenal roles. I mean, my business is entirely virtual. We've never had an office. So, uh, and also I've had the joy of traveling the world as well as having different roles in marketing and sales. And, uh, and, and actually I can honestly tell you that I failed my maths A level twice. So so don't be put off by that. Don't be put off by that. Um, Sirad, can I come to you as well? I would love to, um, I'd love to ask your question about when you look at the industry, uh, and, and to what extent have you looked at the industry and whether or not you feel represented? I think for me personally, I do agree with that. Yes, I do feel represented, but only to a certain extent. I think one thing that like, the financial industry could do better on is when it comes to like adverts, I think when banks usually advertise their services or want to like use leaflets and stuff, I think one thing that they mainly do, like the people that they kind of use to like advertise their services on mainly white and I think that it's mainly white people that they put in their photographs and I think one thing that they could do better on is like as the BME community to actually go into their leaflets and go into their flyers because I think one problem is the BME community always like use their services they're always kind of there but I think one thing that they could do better on is just really like implementing their photos and like actually adding them into the flyers and the advertisement really important. It's about inclusion and representation, which is really important. Chloe, I have a feeling you're very keen to come in here. So please, love to hear your thoughts. For someone like me, who absolutely hates maths and struggles with it, and you said there was other opportunities, could you maybe give some like examples of what other opportunities there are that I could maybe get involved in? Yes, certainly. Gosh, well, that's one of my favourite topics, actually. So right the way across the industry, there are different types of jobs. So think about um, banking and financial services is partly about what we call retail, which is when you walk into or don't walk into a branch or you do your online banking or paying for your bills through apps on your phones, for example. That's, that's kind of one aspect of the business and that, that's helping consumers, people like you and me, to basically to manage their money. So part of that's about 
creating the technology to do that, the apps, if you like. But part of it's also about education, getting out into the community and talking to people about how you and financial services can help them. There's another another area, which is when you're helping businesses. So when you walk down uh, the high street or when you're doing any kind of commerce and business online, often through applications, is there are people behind the, the technology, behind these businesses that are trying to create jobs for people by providing goods and services to people like you and me. So actually, how do you help those businesses to grow? So whilst, yeah, the heart of it may well be technology and platforms and, you know, the, the maths piece of it, if you like, there's also a huge amount about customer relations and getting out into the community and talking to the community about how you can help them to grow their businesses. And then when those businesses get bigger and bigger and bigger, some of them are doing business on an international scale. So they might be doing international uh, yeah, cross-border, like they might be doing business in Europe or out into America or into Asia or Latin America. You know, they're, they're huge international trade opportunities. At the heart of that will sit possibly the technology that will enable you to do that. But a huge part of that is, again, kind of getting out and meeting customers and really understanding kind of what it is that customers need, as well as all of the jobs that go around it. So making sure, I was saying before, that you remain compliant with the regulation because we have a duty of care to people's money. When people handle your money, we have to remain compliant with regulation that tells us what we can and cannot do with your money so you're protected. But also about understanding, I mean, Siraj, you were talking about the adverts and all of the publicity that goes around. You know, that's all in marketing and advertising and, uh, and in communications. So there are huge jobs there. So people who are very creative or very good writers and who also really enjoy kind of um, the visual side of that in terms of creating content, great opportunities in there in the world of marketing. And then in other areas, you know, there, there's, there's the technology and the engineering. But if you're really good with people and you're really sociable, uh, there's a great opportunity to build, in, build a, a career in customer relations, as I was just describing. But also if you're a quieter type of person and you're a lot more introverted, and you may not necessarily feel that you've got the confidence to go out and do that. There are phenomenal jobs around uh, manage, managing um, a lot of the processes that go on behind the scenes as well. So there are uh, incredible behind the scenes jobs. These are what I see as the, the unsung heroes that happen that when something happens, like a trade happens or a transaction happens, or something's taking, somebody's taking care of a consumer's money, then actually that gets passed back to people who are, who are basically looking after the processing around that as well. So math isn't necessarily uh, essential for all of that, but I've deliberately given some job ideas there for different types of people, different types of customers, whether you're an individual, whether you're a small business or whether you're an, an international business uh, uh, organisation, um, that actually there are huge opportunities that come all the way through that. So, I mean, I, and believe me, Chloe, I could I could go on and on and on. There are phenomenal opportunities. So don't just think about it as you've got to be good at maths. There are so many other skills that you could bring, I'm sure. Thank you. Sounds really interesting. And it was like good to know about the other opportunities that are available. Always happy to talk about it. Always happy to talk about it. And and Sirad, can I come back to you? I, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts. It was really interesting you were talking about, you know, kind of representation and adverts. Is there anything else that you're, you're, you're keen for us to think about as an industry? Honestly, I really don't think so. Just to do with like advertising and marketing, I just feel like just making sure that the BME community are included because they are 
kind of like a bank's main service users, if that makes sense, because they do use that they, they do use their services quite a lot, and I think just like including them a bit more into the things that they do. I'm going to turn kind of the tables back on you actually, because I'm really curious to learn more about what you what you all do as young consultants. So tell me a bit more about that, and what should we be doing to ensure, from your work and your insights, that we are truly inclusive. One thing that we do is we try and like diversify the people that we work with a lot. I think we make sure that the young people that we have come from like all different backgrounds. Um, I think I think that's something that banks do as well. But I think um, yeah, that's one thing that we do a lot. And, and what do you do as part of the, the community? What, what sort of activities do you get involved in? We represent the views, the interests and the voices of young people quite a lot. Um, I think another thing that we kind of also do is when it comes to like inclusivity, I think based on like your background, you kind of get to do different activities as well. So it feels to me that when you're doing your work as young consultants is you're really being very mindful of do you represent everybody? actually in your community. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's a lot that we can learn from you as well, which is, you know, we, we it's very easy to go through pathways, but making sure that we really pay attention to this. Yeah, I agree. Chloe, can I ask you the same question as well? I'm really curious to learn more about young consultants and, and what, what you're doing. Uh, and then what can we learn from you? We like to empower young people and put them at the heart of everything that we do. Um, so, from becoming a young consultant, um, we value everyone's opinions and then we treat everyone equally. And I think that's like a model that every company should have because it just fail if you don't put um, your like clients or people who are using your service at the centre. Um, I suppose it's just all about everyone just like having fun it's serious when they see but it's like also paid for fun so like everyone has a good time do you know i think there's a lot we can learn from that because i think as an industry we're probably a bit boring uh, you know and the more we can appeal to talent like like just the four of you and also all of your you know your friends and your communities and everybody you're working with as young consultants as well is you know maybe we need to appeal more as a, as a slightly more vibrant industry do you think that's fair sarah would you agree with that yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. I think that's something that would be really good. Yeah. Brilliant. And Harrison, I'd love to get your thoughts about, you know, what else should we be doing to kind of, you know, really appeal as a, as a vibrant industry? I feel like to make it more fun, you could, instead of thinking all the time about, you know, how to get more money and how to make more profit, kind of just start thinking about the employees as well and how much time and effort they spend into working for um, your company. And so I feel like, if you kind of just have days where you kind of just dedicate, you know, like implementing more fun activities for the employees to get to know each other and to network and stuff like that, it could make them have more fun than usual. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, I'm making lots of notes while you're talking because I'm getting really inspired by all your thoughts that are coming through, um, which is really helpful. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you for your thoughts on that. So I'd love to talk about the fact that, uh, Megan, you know, there are five different generations working in finance now. And there's so much that we can all learn from each other. It's incredibly important. Now, I, th I think about your generation. You're so digitally enabled. My generation, you know, I've been I've been working in the city for like 30 plus years. And there are different technologies and different ways that we can work together. And how, how, it's, how important it is that we all listen to each other. So I would be really curious to know what other generations should know about what matters to you. Tell us what really matters to you. 
other generations should take into consideration other people's needs and how the world is ever changing because you need to include others in this vastly growing industry so that we can witness some change for the next generation to come because at the end of the day we are the future so we need to be listened to. And then Harrison, what kind of financial education do you receive? You were talking earlier about the, the need for more of it. I'm really curious to dig a bit deeper, find out what you do receive at the moment and what can we do to be educating young people about their finances? So in school, we've received no financial education whatsoever. We might have, but as a school, we've probably only done it once or twice a year. And so it's very easy to forget about those sorts of things. I think maybe banks could be coming into schools and helping students decide on their finances post-18 when they start to leave home and make a living for themselves. Your point is we should start a lot earlier. Is that your thing? Yeah. How do you see banks and financial institutions coming into your community and, and helping people understand and learn? So I think presentations during form time, assemblies um, to educate like a whole school, so it kind of saves a lot more time than going to individual forms doing PHSE. Um, I also think maybe you could, you know, send resources and videos to do at PHSE if you don't have the people to come into school and if you're busy and whatnot. And I love the fact that it's a mix of coming in person and doing some, you know, personal engagement as well as using some um, uh, some resources and videos and, and more contemporary, more modern content as well, which is, which is really interesting because then you can reach more people. Yeah, really, really helpful. Thank you for your thoughts on that, Harrison. Really, really important. I wonder, Chloe, if I could come to you at this point, because in financial services, we talk about the value of mentoring. Now, what really strikes me is that you, you, you as young consultants are already doing that in your community. You know, you're helping other people, you're really listening to other people. If you were creating a network for young employees who have just started their first jobs in the industry, I'm really curious to know, what would you focus on? And also, are there any particular technologies or applications or yeah, apps that you'd use uh, to keep people really connected? I would personally use platforms like Zoom because they're easily accessible like it's through one tap of a link and everyone can join and um, also I think it's quite secure as well um, and I feel like everyone can access it whether like you're old young I feel like you can be taught how to use it quite easily but I feel like it's just making sure that you've got the tool that everyone can use everyone has access to because obviously there's some barriers some people may not have wi-fi or like computers laptops so you've got to consider that um but or, or even like things like youtube because you said for new people so they could easily just like search up stuff um and see tutorials or just like simple zoom meetings with the people who've been in the industry for like a long time teaching and mentoring with the young younger generation so that's how we mentor mm-hmm. over zoom Oh, so you're still you're doing it over over Zoom rather than getting everybody back in a room again. Is that is that because people like it? And, and why do people like it so much? I think it goes back to that reason it being like easily accessible, um, and as you said, our world is moving to digital and online. And I just think it's so easy to access. You don't have to travel. You don't have to get up really early and worry about traffic. Yeah, because the the logistics of getting people into physical spaces. Uh, takes time it takes time and takes travel and, and obviously expense as well whereas I guess zoom is just easily accessible for everybody 
also your YouTube videos and tutorials as well has really inspired an idea actually in, in my mind about how we can possibly do some of that. And Sarah, if there's anything around diversity and inclusion, because that's the nature of this podcast, we're talking about how, how do we make sure that we're very diverse and inclusive. Are there any areas that you think get left behind? What do you think gets left out that we should really pay attention to? One thing that I really think would be very, very useful for young people nowadays is more job opportunities because I think when it comes to people who like really study for the financial sector, I think a lot of the time they don't like it's really hard. Like once they graduate, it's also really hard for them to actually find a job. Um, especially I think more job opportunities for the black, ethnic and Asian minorities. I think a lot of the time when you look at those directors, the CEOs and the managers, I think in the financial sector, I think it's predominantly white. Um, and I think so some like I think one thing that could be done is empowering and actually inspiring more people from the um from the BAME communities into becoming part of the financial industry and actually having more job opportunities for young graduates. Um, from the BAME community because I think that that'll be very useful and I think it will also inspire sorry, the younger generation into actually like looking into the financial industry as well because like I feel like now I'm 14 but I think now when I look at the financial sector I'm like yes I would want to do it but then like what if I study at a university and then I have to deal with the struggle that other people are struggling with and like finding it hard to actually try and like find a job for like being in the bank and working in a bank or actually trying to become a director of a company advertising more job opportunities for the black ethnic and asian minorities i feel like that'll be really useful really important really important because this is something that actually i i hear a lot of people saying it's wonderful sort of hear you you sort of talk about this which is if you can see it you can be it so there you talked about opportunities and inclusion, but looking up and seeing representation as well. Really, really interesting. That it matters. It matters so much. Wonderful. So listen, Sarah, we're going to stay with you. because I know you've got some amazing facts and statistics uh, to accompany the show. So uh, take it away. What should we be paying attention to? So there are currently five generations within the workforce, the youngest being Generation Z. Generation Z born between 2001 to 2020 holds more inclusive views and expectations about the workplace than previous generations. A survey by the BBC found evidence that Generation Zs were far more concerned about prejudice towards the LGBTQ plus people and gender equality and racism than older generations. In a 2021 report, the Washington Post, Generation Zs are seeking proof of employees' dedication to diversity and inclusion. In the United States, 77% of Generation Z have indicated that a company's diversity affects their decision to work there. Wonderful. Not only do we love statistics, but I think that your choice actually is really fascinating. We have an international audience, so I love you went from the BBC to Washington Post and also the fact that these are really compelling reasons why people must pay attention to what we're talking about. Because you have choices, right? If you do, if there aren't job opportunities out there being presented to you, coming back to Chloe and Harrison's remarks earlier about if we don't have the education and explain why all this stuff matters, you have choices. You could you could work anywhere. The statistics are telling us that uh, your generation really hold very dearly the diversity, equity, inclusion conversation in the choices that you make, but also down onto the level about LGBT, also gender and race as well. 
Wonderful. Sarah, thank you so much for all those thoughts. All those facts and figures will be available on the website, uh, which you can then refer to uh, along with the transcript of this call and information about the show. So this is where it gets a bit uncomfortable, actually, because what we're going to do now is we're going to turn the tables. Um, a wonderful Cynthia Akinsanya, when she prepared this show, uh, took me aside and said, uh, Julia, I don't know whether you're aware, but we're actually going to, you don't get to ask all the questions. You have to answer some of the questions as well. So I gather you've all got some questions for me. Uh, Chloe, can I come to you first of all? Uh, yeah, ask me anything. So my question is, what were some challenges that you faced when you were setting up your company? Because I'm a founder and a CEO, and it's interesting because we were talking about different job opportunities that exist in financial services. And I came very much from a corporate world where I worked in a big financial institution uh, that had thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. And I decided to stop doing that and then set up my own company from scratch. But when I think about the challenges, the first challenge of setting up a company is always who's going to be your first client. And the best way to think about that isn't so much about what is it that I do that is so amazing? It's much more about what are the challenges that my clients are gonna be facing that I can help them solve. Quite often when we think about startup companies, we think about people going, yeah, you know, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur and I'm gonna be really rich and really rich and really famous and just like make loads of money and drive a fast car. And unfortunately, if you start business with that kind of an attitude, what you're not doing is you're not paying attention to what your customers think about. And, and one of you made the comment, brilliant comment about, you know, you've got to have talent, young talent at the heart of every decision you make. You've got to have your customers at the heart of every decision you make. So I think one of the challenges that I faced was, first of all, thinking about not only who's going to be my first client. And actually that, that kind of that came quite quickly, but then really thinking about what is it that they need and what, how can I help them with that? So kind of changing a mindset around that. The other thing is also uh, um, is we live in very technology enabled times. I think Sirad was saying about, you know, these are digital times. And Chloe, I think you made a similar reference. And, and, and Harrison, I was really curious about your, your comments earlier about how we can create models of education. Technology is a great enabler. So when I set up my company, what I wanted to do was not have an office. And loads of people said to me, oh, you have to have an office. Right? You have to be able to control your, your, your people You've got to be able to walk in the front door every morning. You've got to leave every day. You need to clock in and clock out. And, you know, I had this really strong sense that actually we didn't need an office space. So 15 years ago, I set it up without an office and everybody, well, a lot of people told me I was wrong. So one of the challenges for me was to ignore the voices that I thought were wrong and have enough self-conviction to go, this is the pathway I'm going to follow. And of course, you know, what's interesting is in the pandemic, is that's the model that everybody went to. Everybody worked from home. So actually, we were ahead of the curve in doing that. But I could have quite easily uh, gone with what I thought, pe what with other people's advice, when actually in my soul, in my gut, I kind of knew what was the right way to go. And I kind of stuck with that. So that was quite a challenge, actually, was, was getting rid of those voices and just being really determined to follow that pathway. I was going to ask, what is one piece of advice you would give young people about finance? Get educated. But think about your education in terms of short term, medium term and long term. Harrison was talking earlier about, you know, loans and mortgages. Now, that, that can all come and pensions. They can all come much further down uh, once you start earning. But actually, what you do with your money today really matters. And you're never too young to learn that. Simple equation, which is never pay out more than you've got coming in. 
there are basic principles about you know managing your finances so you've always got that but also the importance of saving think of yourselves as squirrels right squirrel now that may sound a bit a bit twee a bit trite you know a bit mm, a bit fluffy but actually squirrel money away so if you've got 10 pounds coming in take a, you know a pound of that two pounds of that put it away somewhere because the more you do that the better position you'll be in because we don't know what's coming around the corner we don't know so so actually sometimes you need a bit of bit of money saved away but it also means that you can invest and uh, later on down the track as you as you get into the workplace is you could be using some of that money and investing and that's where you can get other returns on your money as well you can help your pot of money to grow so become a squirrel save because I do worry that, that uh, uh, we're not saving enough actually as, as individuals and by the way it's not just young people I know people of my age who don't save enough money and it's uh, it's one of the things I'm a bit obsessive about so thank you for letting me have more than one <laughs> it's okay you have really good advice so thank you well you're very kind you're very kind I hope it's helpful but these are the things that I kind of think about as well Harrison go on far away uh, ask me anything as a CEO, how do you play your part when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Really good question. Number one is, as a CEO, you have a responsibility. So you have to step up. This isn't, the conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion isn't just about, it's not a little pet project on the side. It's not the sort of thing you do when you just happen to have a bit of spare time. It is a heart and centre of everything you do to grow a business because my business has got a lot of technology running through it, but it's the people that make it really work. So it is a daily decision, act proactive, mindful, this word came up earlier, mindful decision about where do I find our talent and do we have diverse talent? Because if I have only a team of people who are exactly the same, I'm going to end up with, with the same kind of results. What I want is I want new ideas. I want fresh ideas. I want to learn from each other's experiences and backgrounds because that's where that's where creativity comes from. And actually, Chloe, you were asking the question about, you know, is it all about maths? It's not. In this industry, it's so much about creativity. So you've got to have lots of different ideas at the table. So the point number one is you have to step up. I think the second thing you have to do is, uh, how do I put this? You have to shut up, right? It's really easy to to keep imagining and talking on behalf of people when actually I have no lived experience. I, I know that I'm a white woman of privilege. I'm also a gay white woman of privilege. So I, I have my own story. Everybody has their own stories, their own experiences. So it's really important that as a leader, you actually shut up and you listen. There's this great bit of ex uh, advice I was given, which is you have two ears and one mouth. So listen with both ears. And that's why episodes like this are really important to kind of listen to what you have to say. And then the third thing you have to do is speak up, which I know sounds like, well, I've just said shut up, then I have to speak up. But actually, when you've listened to people, then it's your job to go and advocate for them. And what I mean by that is when you have meetings with people and you look around the table and it's the same people always talking, you have to create space. You have to stop the meeting and go, I'm really curious to hear what the, these other people have to say as well and make space for people to be able to speak up as well. So part of it's about you speak up on behalf of them and to give them the space to speak up themselves. So, yes, yeah, so step up, shut up and speak up. I think those are kind of the, the, the big things as a CEO that we should all be doing. I think people come from many different experiences and backgrounds and stuff that 
we all have our different perspective of diversity and inclusion. So I kind of do agree with you on this. I feel like everybody can have the right to have their own opinion on diversity and inclusion because we are, at the end of the day, all influenced by our backgrounds. That's what makes us wonderful human beings. That's what makes us really interesting people. It'd be extremely boring. It would be extremely boring. Completely agree with you. I, I can, I've got literally my hands in the air going, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so true. It's so true. And we want to be an interesting industry. But what we're hearing today is that kind of you're going, well, actually it doesn't feel very interesting. It doesn't feel very vibrant. And it feels like it's very kind of one dimensional in terms of maths. And by the way, we don't know what you do. Is And there's a, the part is, you know, there we've got amazing people in this industry who actually um, aren't boring. So I think we need to go out and connect a bit more. It's kind of uh, my thoughts. It's been really, really inspiring. Megan, I'm coming to you next uh, for your question. Women now make up 42% of financial services. Do you think in the future, AI will have a more prominent place in financial services or will women? And why do you think this is? So Megan, I think it's a brilliant question. I think it's really, really brilliant question because uh, we know that artificial intelligence is really driving how we make decisions. You know, when we buy products and services online, we get recommendations for what else we might like. Everything is connected. If you liked this, you might like this. And, and uh, the data that all comes from our shopping habits, etc. That's all driven. And, uh, and the data that comes out of that is powering artificial intelligence. So do I think that we'll have more women or more artificial intelligence? I think we'll have more artificial intelligence because it's just the future. It's the future of better products and services. But what I would say is we need to have more women at the table. If all of these products and services uh, are only designed by white men, we're going to end up with artificial intelligence that is designing the wrong future. So it's really important that we have equity. So we have women and men at the table. But if we only have women and men who are all white, we're still going to have the, the wrong types of products and services because we need to have complete ethnic minority representation. In fact, it shouldn't be a minority. It should be an equal representation at the table. We need to have LGBTQ voices at the table designing artificial intelligence. We need to have people from neurodivergent backgrounds and attributes and superpowers at the table designing our products and services through artificial intelligence. We need to have people with disability because it's about access. And if we can if we can get this right for people with disability, as guests on this show have told us, we get it right for everybody. So it's so important that we do make sure we have representation and equity of representation designing the AI because I, it's not going away. So I think there'll be more and more and more and more AI out there that's designing and helping us live our lives but we've got to make sure we've got complete representation designing it from its heart. That was a great question. Really great question. Listen, thank you all so much for all your thoughts. I really, really appreciate it. And I've asked the governor of the Bank of England this question. I've asked the head of the regulator this question. I've asked all our guests. So I'm going to ask you the same question as well, because I'm a bit worried, if I'm honest. I'm a little bit concerned that as we go through tough economic times, people's priorities change. And they start saying, well, actually, you know, we love all this diversity and inclusion discussion, but it can't be as important right now. We just, it's, we're going to basically drop it down our list of priorities of things to focus on. And I would love to hear your reasons for our listeners about why it's so important that this remains top of the list. 
So Harrison, I'm coming to you first of all. Uh, Harrison, tell us why this is so important. If we don't have diversity and inclusion as um, a priority, then what happens is, is that people such as myself or um, Sirad or Chloe, those of the lower classes, um, we do not get the same opportunities as those of the higher classes. And I feel like if we don't get the same opportunities, what happens is we kind of grow up thinking we'll never go to the same lengths as those that have received more education. Wonderful. Thank you, Harrison. Really appreciate that. And Megan, I'd love to hear your thoughts about why it's so important we continue discussing diversity and inclusion. Because the world isn't just made up of one faith or one race. It includes everyone. And some people may feel more comfortable talking to others in their chosen racial group or faith. We need to take that into mind. Also, in my opinion, I'd feel more comfortable talking to someone younger. So we already have that connection. Like we've grown up around the same time. So we know like what we're going through and what we want. Someone who's from the LGBTQ may want to talk to someone who supports them. And maybe someone older may want to talk to someone older too. So then they understand each other more. Sarah, can I come to you next? Come on, tell us why it's so important that we keep discussing diversity and inclusion. I think when CEOs or like directors are like in a meeting, I think if it's like just a table of like completely white people, yeah, the ideas will be great, but at the same time, it won't be as great as it would be with people that are like black or Asian or from ethnic minorities. Because I feel like the more like the more the divert like the more diverse like it is, the more the more of a diverse range of ideas there'll be, if that makes sense. And I feel like that'll be a bit more helpful because that way the work that's produced will be to a more higher standard and to, to a more of a, like a higher quality. Completely agree with that. And it is about quality, isn't it? Equality and quality. So this isn't just about the right thing to do, it's about also creating really quality, really quality work and, and products and services for everybody. Wonderful. Thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate your thoughts on that. And finally, listening in very patiently, Chloe, come on, tell us, see out the show, give us your really compelling reasons why it's so important that we continue to discuss diversity and inclusion. Because if you don't discuss them important things, then it just shows you as a person and you as a character, it just shows that you're not mature enough to have your own company because you're not pitting your workers or people at heart. And by you not doing that, your company is going to fail and just won't work because people just won't want to come and use your service because they won't feel respected and people won't enjoy working there because it's just basically showing that you're just being selfish and not prioritising people's needs and it just fail. I'm not going to say anything because I think that all of you have just beautifully summed up for me the co really compelling reasons why this matters. So I just want to take a moment to thank you all so much for spending the time with me. It's been wonderful hearing your thoughts. It's been really inspiring, actually. I think we need to pay attention to education. As an industry, we need to be uh, explaining the jobs uh, and the opportunities that exist, getting out there, being a lot more proactive in terms of um, explaining not only why financial services matters and also some of the education about helping uh, young talent become very good with finance, but also explaining that it's not just all about maths. There are some fantastic opportunities. It's been really fun hearing your questions uh, and, and your curiosity about, you know, uh, well, I, this is not about me, but about, you know, me being a founder of a business and what that's been about. But most importantly is hearing your reasons why 
this matters so much. And uh, listen, thank you, all of you. Um, Sirad, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's honestly been really great. Like, seriously, I think as a person myself, I've learned a lot from this. It's a pleasure and I wish you every possible success. Harrison, thank you for all your thoughts today and for being with us. Thank you. It's been good. It's been really good. Well, you're, you're very kind and it's only been good because of the contributions that you've all made. And I, and I love all your thoughts and it's been, I found it incredibly inspiring, as I was saying. And Megan, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed being part of this conversation. And Chloe. Chloe, thank you for being on the show. Um, thank you for having me and allowing me to have this opportunity. And it was amazing and really interesting to know what other pathways there are if you're not interested or good in maths. So thanks for educating me. It's a, it's a pleasure and it feels like an honour. Everybody who's been listening in, I really hope you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. Thank you as always for joining us. Diversity Podcast is a five-star Apple podcast and so please, we love your ratings and your support. Do share this episode because uh, it's not about Diversity Podcast, it's about the conversation and it's about profiling our wonderful guests and I hope you agree we've had some cracking guests on today. Thank you as always for listening. I've been Julia Struth. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by Roshan Roberts on behalf of Julia Street's Productions. You can find out more about the guests from this week's show on our website. That's www.diversitypodcast.com. That's diversity with a C and not an S. Whilst you were there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. And finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.